Hello and welcome to the Rugby Gods podcast. I'm John Keenan. No mai harimai. Today is March 10th and now let's talk some rugby. Alright, so this is going to be like a follow-up part two to private equity investment in New Zealand rugby. Uh, in the past month there's been a couple of interesting developments and, and a couple of interesting articles uh, that I just want to go through uh, with you here, just basically as follow-up or as a part two. So yeah, the um, first article I want to have a look at is from about a month ago, just over a month ago, uh, in early February. Uh, the title, uh, which I'll link to uh, in the show notes, is New Zealand Rugby Get $465 million Private Investment Offer from US Company. So uh, that was the first interesting piece of news. Uh, basically, that was sort of, um, uh, what would you say, uh, a, a poorly held secret, I guess, uh, that there was uh, private equity investment interested uh, in New Zealand rugby. Uh, but it wasn't until early February that there was actually an official offer put on the table or like a publicly announced offer on the table. So, yeah, I want to read through that uh, article. Uh, and then the second part it's a little bit peripheral, but I think it's also quite important. Uh, it is called Unshackled. New Zealand Rugby puts perpetual licenses on the table for franchises. Uh, franchises being the Super Rugby clubs. Uh, so again, uh, a very interesting article, I think, uh, from just last week. Uh, it was from March 4th. Uh, so when I saw that article, I thought, well, okay, that's two pretty good articles uh, that I can put together. Uh, and do a little bit of a follow-up on. So yeah, let's get into the first article there. Uh, I'm just going to basically read through it uh, and then you know perhaps provide a few thoughts around it, push on to the other article, do the same, uh, and then you know finish out from there. So uh, you know these are both stuff articles. Uh, so the first one, New Zealand Rugby gets 465 million dollar private investment offer from US company. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to read through it. A United States tech giant has offered New Zealand Rugby nearly half a billion dollars for a 15% share of commercial rights, a report says. So I'm assuming that's half a billion dollars uh, in New Zealand money. Uh, it doesn't exactly say, but I'm probably going to go with New Zealand money uh, as we're talking about New Zealand Rugby uh, and New Zealand Rugby teams and or the All Blacks. Uh, so yeah, $465 million, pretty sure you can say that's New Zealand. Uh, and it's for a 15% share of commercial rights uh, in New Zealand rugby, a report says. Uh, the offer has come from US firm Silver Lake, which part owns Manchester United's uh, owner, City Football Group, and is known as one of the world's leading technology investors and requires the approval of New Zealand's provincial rugby unions. So that's basically uh, ongoing as of now. Um, you know, the 26 uh, provincial unions inside of New Zealand, I believe there's 26, uh, basically have to sign off on New Zealand rugby saying yes um, to that, you know, 15% share of commercial rights. I'm pretty sure uh, New Zealand rugby at the moment is kind of doing um, a traveling roadshow and basically selling the idea uh, to the different unions in different parts of New Zealand. Uh, so yeah, Silver Lake's minority stake could range from 10 to 15 percent of commercial rights valued at 3.1 billion, uh, NZME reported on Wednesday. 
So yeah, basically Silver Lake's valuing uh, you know, the All Blacks slash New Zealand Rugby, uh, basically the commercial driver of New Zealand Rugby, which is pretty much the All Blacks. They're valuing them at $3.1 billion. Again, I believe that's $3.1 billion uh, New Zealand dollars. Um, a decision is likely to be taken before New Zealand Rugby's annual meeting in April. The New Zealand Rugby Players Association, as well as former All Black players, coaches and black firms are also to be consulted, the report said. So, you know, uh, as we talk or as I talk to you now, it's March 10th. So there's probably another sort of like four to six weeks uh, before this fully plays out. Uh, and I guess, you know, if it is successful, if there is sign-off uh, sign uh, from the provincial unions, uh, then I might, I might well be, you know, coming back to you with a part three uh, to fill you in on, you know, exactly what's going on in New Zealand rugby uh, with private equity. Continuing on. Uh, last year, New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Mark Robinson said the company was keeping its options open on private equity as the game enters a period of dynamic change. New Zealand Rugby is consulting with its stakeholders, but a spokesperson said on Wednesday evening there was no further comment to make at this time. As we have said previously, we are on a path to look at what an investor partner for New Zealand Rugby might look like, which is a very exciting prospect for us. Um, the article then continues on, but it's really kind of spliced together. It, it kind of copied and pasted in uh, much of what we talked about uh, in the first part, uh, um, you know, that I did with you or here on this podcast uh, a month or so ago, back in January. Um, so yeah, it just sort of like you know goes through some of the key questions of you know how does private equity work, um, you know how would it work in a New Zealand rugby context. Uh, why does New Zealand rugby need a partner? Why can't it do it by itself, etc., etc.? So you know, it, it gives you those uh, questions that we've already kind of talked about, or um, yeah, I certainly talked around. So yeah, um, that by itself is not a huge amount of information, but I guess it just actually gives um, a number. It puts a figure on you know what ten to fifteen percent of New Zealand rugby slash the All Blacks, you know, the commercial. Um, uh, of New Zealand rugby, what it's worth uh, in the world. Um, a little bit disappointing, um, yeah, that I couldn't expressly find um, the currency that that was in. Uh, you know, are they talking, you know, seeing it as a US firm, Silver Lake, are they valuing, uh, you know, New Zealand rugby or the New Zealand rugby, you know, commercial rights at 3.1 billion US or is it 3.1 billion in New Zealand? It's not like the biggest difference in the world, but, you know, I do believe. Uh, the New Zealand dollars at about two-thirds uh, of the American dollar. So, you know, if you're sort of saying it's worth $3.1 billion uh, New Zealand, then it's sort of valuing it at $2 billion US, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, so that's for 10 to 15% of the commercial rights, pretty much the All Blacks. Um, I think the Super Rugby teams are kind of just like break even, and I think they will be sort of segregated out of the deal. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on that though because you know uh, the details are still a little bit scant slash um, you know confidential uh, as they you know sell it uh, to the provincial unions. The actual provincial unions themselves, the 26 provinces that make up uh, say the Mighty 10 Cup and the Heartland Championship, um, those they are certainly off the table. Uh, they will not be involved uh, in the commercial rights. 
uh, and especially because, I mean, basically it's a loss maker for New Zealand rugby. Uh, you know, if you think of New Zealand rugby as sort of like a pyramid with basically the All Blacks at the top, essentially the All Blacks make all the money uh, for New Zealand rugby. Uh, you know, super rugby teams are, you know, they're certainly solvent, um, or most of the time they're solvent. I think maybe the Highlanders had some issues a few years back, but generally speaking, you know, the money that gets put into, um, you know, uh, super rugby teams or clubs, basically it's, it's used. Uh, there's not a lot of profit, or there's not a lot of revenue, um, you know, gained uh, from that. Uh, and then as you go further down and you get to, uh, like the lower level professional slash semi-professional being the Mitre 10 Cup and the Heartland Championship then it's New Zealand Rugby is actually funding those teams and funding the players and the coaches and the travel etc just basically funding um, those competitions so I don't think Silver Lake will be like kind of too interested in buying into um, say the Mitre 10 Cup um, but you know it's really about uh, you know what it can get out of the All Blacks uh, is pretty much what I can see from there and that value of you know 3.1 billion dollars uh, that's basically you know a 15% stake in the All Blacks which is making all the money uh, for New Zealand rugby I wouldn't be surprised though uh, if Silver Lake was sort of pushing to have you know some sort of involvement in the New Zealand Sevens team like the All Black Sevens uh, they may well even have some sort of involvement or stake uh, say in New Zealand Maori uh, and uh, a New Zealand All Blacks 15, which I believe is sort of like a, a B team or like a second team that New Zealand Rugby, you know, sort of wants to get touring around the world. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, the All Blacks 7s, <coughs> a New Zealand sort of B team, a New Zealand 15 or All Blacks 15, um, those, those uh, entities could probably make some money as well. So they may well be part of the commercial rights. Um, and yeah, I would imagine though that Super Rugby will be sort of away from that because it has a completely different sort of like funding model where New Zealand Rugby is already drawing down, um, you know, how much it owns uh, for, you know, each of the franchises or each of the Super Rugby clubs. And I think that's probably a good point to, or a good place to segue into the second article uh, from Robert Van Rowan uh, from last week, uh, March 4th. Uh, which is talking more specifically about uh, New Zealand rugby and its Super Rugby licenses. So let's push into that article and talk a little bit about that. Uh, so the article is called Unshackled. New Zealand rugby puts perpetual licenses on the table for franchises for Super Rugby clubs. And let's read through it. So unshackled from the restrictions of expiring licenses, the future for New Zealand Rugby's five Super Rugby franchises appears bright. New Zealand Rugby has put perpetual licenses with fewer restrictions on the table, opening the door for new investment and commercial opportunities for cash-strapped franchises. So kind of like I said, like I said just before, you know, it, it takes a fair amount of money, certainly in the millions, possibly even tens of millions, uh, to basically run a Super Rugby team. And, you know, pretty much, you know, the revenue that you get that you gather from, you know, your sponsors and from the gate, etc. It pretty much covers it, but it doesn't really leave much around, uh, much room or much left for profit. So, you know, that they're pretty cash strapped, uh, as it says there. The Crusaders, having banded together with the other four or with the other with the four other franchises, sorry, 
uh, last week became the first to sign off the new license, which essentially secures their future in Super Rugby and gives them more off-field control than in the past. So yeah, remember these are like perpetual licenses, um, you know, with private investment inside of them, rather than, you know, sort of every five years, the new TV rights come up for renewal, the franchises, you know, their licenses come up for renewal. So the Crusaders, essentially in Super Rugby, um, are here to stay. So consultation remains open or ongoing at the remaining four franchises, including the Chiefs, who Chief Executive Michael Collins confirmed would work through it with their investors and board in the coming weeks. It is really, really positive, but it's taken a long time. There's really good things just around the corner, I believe, Collins said. That's the Chiefs CEO. Delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic, the new model has been about two years in the making and puts a welcome end to the old licensing model, which resulted in them expiring at the end of each broadcast deal, which is essentially basically every five years, you know, the broadcasting deal would be up for renewal. Uh, it was a marginal financial model, and there's been quite a bit of tension around where certain commercial rights reside. Most clubs have made virtually no money for a decade, and the whole super system at the club level has been break-even for about a decade, Crusaders Chief Executive Colin Mansbridge said. We, the super teams, said let's see if we can change the model. One of the biggest gripes with the old model was the regular expiry, making it unattractive for private investors to commit. So yeah, you know, like investing into something with a five-year time frame where, you know, the team could be gone, you know, like that's not really, you know, good long-term investment or you're probably not attracting the right kind of investors. So it didn't stop some from coming on board with teams, but it's understood they've long been frustrated by a lack of certainty and longevity. So yeah, I mean, there certainly is, you know, private money in the super teams, um, you know, Super Rugby, or sorry, the Super Rugby clubs are not 100% owned by, super, uh, by New Zealand Rugby. Certainly a number of them are not. Um, but yeah, no, no doubt, uh, and it's been hard for them to attract, um, you know, certain investors to such a short um, investing time frame. So Man Mansbridge continues, the uh, Crusaders CEO. We need investors or shareholders to be able to be invested in something that's going to exist for a long period of time, Mansbridge said. Asked how much capital he'd like to raise, Mansbridge was reluctant to put a figure on it, but said the potential for tens of millions of dollars was there. There were other limitations under the old model. Deferred a year due to the pandemic, the Crusaders last year announced plans for an academy at the University of Wollongong in Australia. The new revenue source took more than a year of negotiating with New Zealand Rugby to get over the line and came with many conditions. So that is pretty interesting. Um, obviously, you know, if there's sort of more money, more private money floating around uh, at the franchise level, um, they're going to be able to, you know, open up academies. They're going to be op able to open up, you know, centers of excellence or sort of almost like recruitment centers, uh, perhaps in places like the Pacific Islands, uh, Australia, maybe even like Japan, possibly something up in, in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, maybe something based out of Ireland or, you know, the UK. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, those things we would be able to do as a right as long as we don't bring the game into disrepute, Mansbridge said. 
So, you know, the Crusaders opening um, basically um, an academy at the University of Wollongong or the Hurricanes opening an academy uh, in Leinster or, like, you know, based out of Dublin or something, you know, that they would be able to do that as of a right. They wouldn't have to negotiate with New Zealand rugby for, you know, a year, two years, three years, and then only perhaps have a five-year, you know, broadcasting, you know, license or license for the broadcasting deal. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Um, the reworked commercial rights will allow franchises to innovate and create revenue streams, while existing revenue streams will be redirected to them from New Zealand Rugby, including advertising from virtual banners and space on jerseys. So a lot more uh, control around, you know, like sponsorship money, uh, you know, money at the grounds, money on the jersey. <coughs> uh, you know, it's really it's going to be quite interesting. Uh, and then obviously, you know, what can the clubs do uh, on their own, to, you know, to generate income? They get to keep it. So, should new rights be invented, they would default to the franchises. So, you know, obviously that could be around like apparel, um, you know, that could be around, um, I guess, you know, just like more in depth, you know, perhaps like documentary style, uh, you know, follow the teams, um, you know, like just content that you're going to put on, you know, places like Rugby Pass, etc. Um, you know, all of that kind of money, um, you know, that can actually go to the team. Um, you know, you'd have to say, uh, the sort of like the gaming side of things, you'd have to say that would be at a higher level. I think that's going to be more like what, say, New Zealand Rugby will do with Silver Lake uh, in and around, say, the All Blacks. Uh, but again, you know, whatever happens there, perhaps the Super Rugby teams will get a cut of that money, uh, you know, if there is, say, for example, um, you know, a fantasy Super Rugby League inside of, say, you know, some sort of like All Blacks kind of, you know, like eSports game. So pretty interesting stuff. There's certainly, you know, money to be made, um, you know, uh, commercially, I think, uh, for the Super Rugby sides. Uh, continuing on with Mansbridge, it's a fundamental break from survival mentality where every broadcast deal, you limp your way through to the end, Mansbridge said. New Zealand Rugby will continue to pay the wages of two coaches per team and employ the players and, and second them to the super sides. Everything else, including staff, salaries, wages, the cost of hosting games and academy programs, remains the franchise's responsibility. The Kiwi teams will have an obligation to participate in Super Rugby, However, theoretically, they could compete elsewhere out of season, just not with New Zealand rugby contracted players, unless consented. I'm really excited by the commercial terms under the proposed new licence, and couple that with some really good opportunities around competitions and potential competitions, then I think it's going to put us into a real strong position moving forward, Collins said, the chief CEO. The Crusaders have recruited PwC who have done deals in the Northern Hemisphere to seek potential investors and partners, some of whom have already been introduced. That said, Mansbridge doesn't expect to have struck any deals before August. We do think the brand of the club and the core intellectual property will lead to some good partnerships. Again, not just about price, it's not just about the cash, but also adding value to both organisations. <clears throat> The Crusaders have been backed by Christchurch-based businessman Brent Francis, who owns West Coast Coal Mines since 2012.
Francis is also on the board of directors. Mansbridge confirmed the nature of the relationship going forward would be less guarantor and more equity holder. That's in terms of Brett Francis, the you know, West Coast coal miner. The 11 times champion would also remain would also remain shareholder owned by the six provincial unions in their catchment and any potential investors or partners coming on board would have to be given the green light by them. So again, there's sort of like a, a provincial union backdoor there uh, that the Crusaders anyway are, are setting up, uh, which I think again is, is pretty good to see. So yeah, like plenty of information uh, in that second article there um, about basically you know the Super Rugby franchises uh, and how they're getting perpetual licenses. Uh, it seems like the Crusaders have you know basically signed off on it and and, and have you know jumped the gun and gone. Uh, the other four uh, franchises are yet to actually sign off on it, but it, it does seem like the Chiefs are pretty close. I wouldn't be surprised if you know the Blues and Hurricanes are also pretty close. Um, the Highlanders, generally speaking, um, are a little bit poorer. Um, you know, it's the smallest of the catchment areas, um, so. Uh, you know, perhaps there's not quite as many uh, investors slash wealth uh, in the you know Otago Southland area of New Zealand, um, and they have had you know some off-field issues over you know the 25 years of, of Super Rugby, so you know the, the Highlanders will probably be the last uh, to commit uh, to these perpetual licenses and an opening up to you know private investment, but I'd imagine you know the Blues, the Chiefs, and the Highland uh, sorry, and the Hurricanes will uh, be you know following you know the crusaders suit you know pretty rapidly so yeah all pretty interesting stuff um i like um or, i mean what i would like to see there is is marquee players so i would i would love to see you know private investment um basically have money ring fenced or like money that can go into you know attracting marquee players so you know, in a New Zealand context, if you were just to, you know, be rough on, like, on the figures, uh, let's just imagine that, you know, you, you contract, say, 35 players, um, and basically New Zealand rugby contracts those 35 players, that's fine, uh, but, but perhaps every franchise has the ability to, say, contract up to two or three marquee players, so it can basically just go out to the world, just go out to the, you know, the world rugby market, uh, and it can ask or it can, you know, try and attract, you know, perhaps, you know, Northern Hemisphere talent, you know, Japanese talent, South African talent, or, you know, players based in, in Japan, you know, Major League Rugby talent, whatever, and it can bring them in as marquee players. Uh, and what that would mean is that New Zealand rugby isn't paying the wages of, say, an English international or a South African international or whatever. It would be the super rugby teams who are saying, yes, we really need, like, a good first five in our team this year. Or, you know, like, yes, we really need a fullback. Yes, we really need a hooker, whatever, right? And they can basically go out to market and, you know, spend a lot. Um, you know, spend basically more than, say, New Zealand rugby would want to spend on an international player. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's in the making there as well because um, the breakdown there did say basically that New Zealand rugby will continue... Um, sorry, just losing the spot there. Uh, but it was will continue like New Zealand rugby will continue to pay the wages of two coaches per team and employ the players and second them to the super sides. Now I'd basically like to see that continue, 
but obviously, like I've just said, you know, in a squad of 35, perhaps you could have two or three marquee players. Now, obviously, you know, you could go to market inside of New Zealand uh, and try and, you know, pull a New Zealand player away from another franchise where he's perhaps on a, you know, New Zealand rugby, super rugby contract, um, you know, which is going to be pretty basic. Um, and, you know, maybe you could offer him, obviously, that and a fair bit more, you know, to bring him to your franchise. Um, you know, but obviously, as well, you could be going to the Northern Hemisphere, South Africa, Australia, the Pacific Islands, wherever, and bringing in, you know, really good international talent into the super teams. You know, I'd love to see that. Um, you know, I think that could be really awesome for the game. I mean, if you had, you know, 10, like let's just imagine it's set at two per team uh, and you've got basically 10, you know, really high quality, you know, international players, you know, a couple from England, one or two from, you know, Ireland or France, you know, three or four from South Africa, and you've got those guys playing at their peak in their prime and they're playing for the Hurricanes, they're playing for the Chiefs, they're playing for the Blues, etc. You know, it's just going to make the teams and just make the competition just that little bit more exciting, uh, just having some of that, you know, high-level, top-quality international talent. And basically, New Zealand rugby doesn't have to pay that wage. It's like a, a ring-fenced marquee player. So I think that would be really exciting. Um, I think the other exciting thing there um, that I'd kind of forgotten about is the idea that the super teams could play uh, outside of super rugby time. So, like, obviously, you know, New Zealand rugby has sanctioned um, a period of time in the year where there's going to be a super rugby competition, or at present there's going to be, you know, super rugby Aotearoa, super rugby uh, AU, and then a, a crossover of super rugby trans-Tasman, or that's at least the hope uh, in 2021. Um, but, you know, obviously that is actually only for, you know, maybe like say four months of the year. I guess you could say probably six months of the year is pretty locked in, uh, you know, when you take into account, you know, pre-season training, etc. Um, but, you know, if you basically say uh, January uh, through to the end of June, so the first six months of the year, that, that kind of is, you know, super rugby time. But that does leave six other months in the season, um, you know, where the players are essentially released. You know, they go and play for the All Blacks. They go and play for their provincial unions in the Ten Cup, etc., uh, which is all good stuff. Uh, they go and play for representative teams such as New Zealand Māori or even maybe the All Black Sevens. <clears throat> but, you know, the ability for um, a super season um, to be, or like for super rugby teams to be involved in other competitions... That's pretty tasty, um, you know. Like you could you could have a pretty interesting you know you could have a pretty interesting scenario where you know uh, you know a selection of Super Rugby teams and or all the Super Rugby teams are you know perhaps involved in some sort of Northern Hemisphere competition. Perhaps they're involved or linked with uh, you know Japanese top league teams or some sort of Japanese top league competition. Uh, if Major League Rugby continues to, to, you know, go on the up and up and becomes, you know, a, a legitimate, um, you know, competition in its own right, you know, you may even have, you know, some crossover matches there with, you know, Super Rugby involvement. So it's, it is all pretty interesting stuff. And obviously, you know, more games essentially equals kind of more revenue uh, for the New Zealand Super Teams, uh, you know, and at present... Uh, you know, like I've just said, like they've pretty much got a six-month season. They've got pretty much like a six-month of downtime 
uh, and they're generally only playing something like you know 12 to 15 games per year um, you know so certainly no more than so certainly not even close to 20 um, so you know there is potential for you know super rugby teams to, to turn up at sort of world invitational competitions or something uh, you know and play an extra three four five games in a season uh, if you know they can get New Zealand rugby sign off and it all makes sense in terms of you know the calendar but yeah, pretty exciting stuff, I think, for um, you know, Super Rugby teams and just New Zealand Rugby in general. So yeah, like a real freeing up of uh, control from New Zealand Rugby. Um, obviously, they're very keen to allow Silver Lake uh, to get into the, you know, to have a 10-15% stake for uh, something like half a billion New Zealand dollars, uh, essentially in the All Blacks. Uh, and then they're very keen as well to essentially... Um, open up the funding model uh, for super rugby teams and make them more profitable as well, which again is going to alleviate, um, you know, super rugby, uh, sorry, New Zealand rugby's like balance sheet as, you know, right now they're basically underwriting those five teams, like, you know, on the whole. So yeah, really uh, looking forward to the developments uh, that come along, uh, I guess, in the next sort of maybe six weeks uh, in terms of New Zealand rugby and what it does with Silver Lake and or private equity and then maybe over the next six months in terms of what the super rugby sides uh, do in terms of signing on or signing off uh, these perpetual licenses which essentially guarantee that they will be uh, in super rugby competitions you know from 2021 onwards uh, much like the Crusaders so yeah good stuff uh, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that one. Uh, a little bit of a break or a little bit of a different podcast, not focused on sort of like, you know, the day-to-day goings-on of, you know, Super Rugby Aotearoa, Super Rugby AU, or like the Six Nations, all the things that I've sort of just been, um, you know, commentating in and around uh, over the last couple of months. has certainly been pretty enjoyable, uh, but I think it's also pretty cool to sometimes get into some of these more sort of strategic ideas um, you know, or issues that are going on in the game. So yeah, I'm going to leave it there, uh, 30 minutes. So thanks very much for listening, if you did. Um, things for me to say, uh, I do this podcast on Anchor FM, so please, um, basically from Anchor, uh, it uploads to about seven or eight different podcasting platforms. Uh, I prefer Spotify. <clears throat> That's where I listen to most of my podcasts these days. Uh, and this podcast is there on Spotify. So I recommend you use Spotify and or, you know, follow me uh, there, listen to me there. That'd be great. Uh, I also have a Facebook page. Uh, the Rugby Gods podcast uh, is what you need to search for. Um, hopefully you can find it um, wherever you're listening to this in terms of like the homepage of wherever you're listening. Uh, but if you can't, just go to Facebook, key in The Rugby Girls Podcast. Hopefully that page will pop up. It's mine. Please give it a like uh, and feel free to, you know, give me a comment and or, you know, send me a private message. That'd be awesome. Um, I'm trying my best to be on Twitter as well, but, you know, personally I don't use it. Um, and I basically just dump uh, these podcasts on a Twitter account. Uh, but, you know, again, feel free to follow me on Twitter uh, if you'd like. Uh, I think I'm a little bit more active, a little bit more, um, I don't know, what would I say? Like, I just, I'm, I'm more active and I, and I put more time uh, into my Facebook page. Uh, but yeah, uh, I hope things are going well for you. Um, and yeah, I just, 
I hope you enjoy uh, all the rugby that's going on and I hope your team's performing well for you uh, in whatever competition uh, they are in. Uh, looking forward to the Six Nations Round 4 uh, this coming weekend uh, and obviously looking forward to the you know continuation uh, of the Super Rugby Aotearoa, Super Rugby AU uh, and even Japanese Top League seasons uh, that are happening right now. So yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to peace out. Thanks a lot. I'll see you later. Goodbye.